Hello, welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, The Prince and the Pauper, published in 1882 or 1881, sometime like that. Um, this is the first of three books uh, that we're going to look at in a series uh, that are set in the early modern period or in the Middle Ages um, or kind of some once a time traveling kind of weird adventure. Um, those are The Prince and the Pauper, The Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, and then finally the Joan of Arc uh, biography that he wrote. Um, so these are all set in Europe in that kind of medieval early modern period. And what do we make of these works? Well, um, my view roughly is that all three basically are examinations of the hierarchical, aristocratic, and brutal nature of European society. It's something he kind of starts to hint at in Innocence Abroad, but doesn't quite fully articulate there because he is kind of just like a, a cigar-chewing like, like tourist or something. He's not trying for a systematic look at European society. It's going to be later that he starts to, to, to dig into that. And, it, and I think he has to write Tom Sawyer before he can do this, right? It's also before he writes Huck Finn. So Huck Finn is after The Prince and the Pauper. Um, of course, you have a Tom in both novels who are who's from the lower class who is play acting at a different role um now the prince and the pauper of course is trying to make it clear the arbitrariness of aristocratic status while trying to reveal the moral failings of the ruling class the target here is the tutors who are uh, i don't think he's as conscious of this as perhaps later on we are but but the Tudors were usurpers after the War of the Roses. The War of the Roses was between the Lancasters and the Yorks, right? Who wins? The Tudors. The Tudors were usurpers. They weren't anywhere near the, the heirs to the throne. They take over. Which, as I understand it, is why Henry VII was so obsessed with getting his son, Arthur, to marry like the Queen of Spain or the Princess of Spain or whatever to try to get that legitimacy for his own rule. And of course, Arthur dies. Sad story, we didn't get a King Arthur. Instead, we get Henry VIII. And from that point on, we have this sterile, uh, drama-based dynasty for a century, right? Where it's Henry VIII and then his three kids, all, none of, all of whom are sterile or unable, you know, in some way unable to perpetuate the line, right? Now, that drama around them, the six kings of Henry VIII being maybe the most um, dramatic part, which is something actually Mark Twain here is obviously interested in and digs and, and feeds into. This is set during the last days of Henry VIII. But this, you know, there's a whole musical about this called Six. There's TV series about the Tudors. What we don't have... And here's my personal rant, I suppose, is we don't have that kind of artistic, popular interest in the Stuarts. The Stuarts, who are kings in a much more interesting time in English history, uh, when England is in the tension between democracy and aristocracy and absolutism, when it's working that out 
And there's all these social forces from the Puritans to the diggers to the ranters to the, the new model army and Cromwell and all that working itself out, you know, in that, that tension, right? The beginning of a, like a democratic, more democratic system of government, right? And we have like people actually trying to invest in their dynasty, which is maybe not as compelling as, as, as Elizabeth forsaking reproduction for power. But Queen Anne, who has like 17 kids and they all die, I mean, who's more devoted to their dynasty, right, than Queen Anne? I mean, one of the, the most tragic monarchs, not, not, and not that we should be praising too much the monarchs, but if you're, if you're going to love some monarchs, love the, love the Stuarts, but they don't get the love that, I, that the Tudors seem to get because the Tudors have the drama. It's a soap opera. And that's where Mark Twain throws us, unfortunately. But maybe it works because we end up with this spoiled son of a of, of a syphilistic, inf, you know, infertile, sterile, obese, um, megalomaniac of sorts, right? Of Henry, someone who doesn't really care about their society or their culture, or their their nation. Even for him, it's just about having a kid to pass on his family line, family line to, to prove he's not illegitimate. It's like God came down and, and, and cursed the tutors for their usurpation. Why am I obsessed about this so much? Well, we have here a story about a usurper, right, in The Prince and the Pauper. It's, it's a child's novel. It's a children's novel about, about someone, kind of accidentally, but someone who doesn't like mind that much when he when it happens and and certainly sustains it taking over the throne of england so that's all fun that's all in good fun <laughs> um anyways to the story itself um we of course here in the prince of the pauper on its most surface level have a criticism of aristocracy and and royal power by exploring the the arbitrariness of that status right and, and in fact, one thing I was thinking about when I was reading this is like, is it just a close? Is that all it really is in the end? Like the switching of the close? Is that all that really establishes people? Like no one recognizes uh, Tom or, or Edward except by their clothes, right? And there are scenes throughout here where, for instance, like um, when the, the simp that, that Edward gets later on what's his name hugh hendon or miles miles hendon where he's like changing him and and that's when he starts like going along with this idea that he's the king it's it's like is it just the clothes that that makes someone is it just the commodity that once drafts himself in that commands power is it, it's like one of the most horrifying views of what power actually is if, if it's just literally the clothes we wear then, then like the duke and the king are actually like have as much right to be to be the duke and the king as the, as as a real king, right? Um, of course, Americans have no are, have no problem lambasting royal authority, right? But they certainly embrace power. They fetishize power all the time, whether it's in presidents or corporate leaders or corporate elite. And is their authority anything more than just? 
a facade. <clears throat> I mean, I think you just got to spend five minutes looking at Elon Musk to realize that, yeah, in a way, power, of course, money comes from that in a way, but there's not much there. There's like a shallow, There's just, it's just a shell after it. And that's what we have. The only difference between Tom and Edwards through most of the story is the clothes they wear. I mean, we can imagine in our minds that they look alike. And they, they sort of suggest that they sort of do. But, no, I, I, I almost prefer it really is just the clothes. Uh, it seems it's a more vicious critique of this class society, if it is. Um, but the novel's not that kind to the lower classes either. Um, so it shows that class matters in the development of children's development. It also shows in their moral order. Edward is more attuned to certain ways of doing things, certain moral rules. Um, but Edward also, or, or Tom, I mean, actually sees things when he's like playing as king. I guess we could say playing as king or whatever. He's aware of things that Edward just side over. I mean, one of my favorite moments in the book is when the, they present the information that like, we're, we're spending more than we make. And, and Tom's like, well, then we got to, like, fire the staff and cut the budget. He's thinking like a working class. He's thinking like a poor. He's thinking like the poor is when he says that. Because that's what the poor will do. They're like, oh, we, we're, we're taking in less money than we, we spend. Well, we better cut out the cigarettes. But that's not how the rich think. The, for them, the rich, the money's not real. It's just it's about flows. It's about currency flows through the coffers of the, of the, of the family or the institution. So I'm, I might be, I've been sort of talking, assuming you know the story, um, which probably most of you do. But anyways, uh, let's just in case you haven't. Um, it's interesting that this novel comes between Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. It's written right between the two. And they're both about children and it's supposed about morality and it's supposed about uh, morale. It's both about morality and civilization and things like that the development of a child's moral order, right? So there's kind of this Rousseauian inert morality in the uncivilized that's suggested here. Um, now, there might be limits to that. I, I'm willing to kind of put a pin in that and say, like, it, it's on, on the surface, it's easy to see Edward as sort of the baddie and Tom as the, as the moral person who takes over the throne, like a King Ralph or something, if you've seen that movie. That's actually a very similar plot, I suppose. Um, so like Huckleberry Finn, Tom Canty is kind of left to his own devices and raised by drunk. So the fatherhood figure, the father-mother, there's no mother in Huck Finn, but there's a father. Parentage is very equivalent here. Um, so he ends up being much more moral than the society surrounding him. And I think that's true. It's not hard to be much more moral than the Tudor court. One of the most despicable moments of, of English history and of, of history in general. So, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I'm there. There's some cracks in, in Tom Ganty. Like he's a little too eager to to take on this role. Right. Or what's that other body switchy novel? The one where the president gets switched with the body double and, he, and he's like, good. He wants to actually help the poors. Uh, Kevin Klein's in it, I think. Who remembers? Um, 
Now, it's not quite an argument that poverty or neglect make good people, but it seems Twain is kind of... I mean, he writes Huck Finn right after this. So maybe there's something to that. Um, now, because Tom Canty's father may have been poor and neglected. Pap, Huck's pap is poor and neglected growing up. Maybe end up bad people. So it's not alone a bad childhood that makes one good. There's something else. I think it's it's somehow being distant from society. Like if you remember that scene in Huck Finn where Pap is like ranting about like government and politics and society. Um, it's like he's still civilized in some way. He's civilized by this this evil culture, which Huck Finn has sort of avoided. Now, what is clear in this book, it seems to me, is that an elite upbringing leads to really absurd things, awkward relations with other people, absurdities, like the, the you know, the weird rituals and the, the, the dressing people and all that, and the, putting everyone in a kind of a hierarchical place. Like some of the funnier parts of the novel is Edward VI, or who, who the fuck cares? Edward child of Henry VIII um, he he like takes on these, these simps after he like he's living the life of Tom Cantor and people are like oh that's interesting I'll just hang out with him and he's like hoity-toity around them because he think he really does think he's the king and I guess he is legally but these other people around him kind of play along and joke with him the same way like Tom's friends give him all sorts of credit as the pirate king or whatever it's a, it's a very similar story actually well um so this story is well known often retold of course there's comic versions there's cartoon versions movies been made it's one of the more well-known tales of american literature unfortunately set in in england in the in the horrible tudor reign um it's probably more well-known from its deviations. I don't know how many people read it anymore. Um, anyways, it's set in London right before and after the death of Henry VIII. So the Prince and the Pauper becomes King and the Pauper by the end. Um, now, Prince Edward accidentally switches places with this street kid, Tom Cantry. Right? And when the king dies, Tom is elevated to king. And his odd actions and decisions... He was accidentally in the role. Like they, What happens is they switch clothes... And there's like a mix-up, and and Tom Cantry gets assumed to be the be Prince Edward, and Prince Edward gets kicked out on the street, and he has to go back and live with his <laughs> Tom Cantry's father, who beats him and abuses him, and eventually Tom uh, Edward, I mean, goes off on his adventure where to reclaim his throne. So we have a nice little uh, Sunjata kind of story, right, or a Shaka, or whatever. All those. Those kings, all those stories, Lion King, Hamlet, whatever story you want, that's that's very similar. Someone gets usurped from the throne. It has to go on some kind of adventure to take it back. And a lot of the bulk of the story is either Tom Cantry kind of weirdly playing the role as this king, or um, Edward on this quest. I mean, he actually builds up an entourage. He builds up his support network to retake his throne, and he's got that 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 mulligan or the the, the not the, not not uh, MacGuffin. He's got this MacGuffin, which is the, like the royal seal, which is going to let him uh, reclaim his his position. So, um, 
Now, normalcy is arrived when Edward crashes his own coronation and things are restored. Tom, who doesn't really want to be king after all, switches places, sort of avoiding punishment and execution. Uh, Edward, at one point, does want to do that, but Edward grants him benevolence, makes him a ward of the crown, and, and it ends up with having a happy ending. Now, much of the class-based brutality we see in the story is institutional. Now, we have, of course, the brutal family violence of, of inflicted on Tom Cantry. And that's, of course, institutional in a way, too. But there's also the institutional violence that's around the, 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 the royal figures, the, ro the royal court and all that. People being executed, people being punished. And, of course, Henry VIII himself, Edward's there through violence. Right through the murder of his sister's mother by the state. Um, it's, it's hinted at. It's not talked about explicitly, but of course, we're here during the, the period of the sixth wife of Henry VIII. Right? And, and Jane Seymour is the father of Edward. Anne Boleyn, the, the mother of... Uh, sorry, Jane Seymour is the mother of Edward. Anne Boleyn, the mother of Elizabeth... And, and Catherine, the mother of Mary, right? Fuck you. I know my English history, sort of, as much as I insult it. And this is an American writer's podcast, but I, I'm not completely ignorant in, in English history. But we're at the end of this reign of these, the, the, these six queens at the end, right before Henry kicks off. Thankfully, not a moment too soon. Um, now, Twain knew as much about these institutions. It, he incorporated, he ex explained Tom's life by violence. Edward will experience these same institutions while he's Tom. So we get this quote, drunkenness, riot, brawling were in order there. Every night and nearby all night long. Broken heads were as common as hunger in that place. He only begged just enough to save himself. For the laws against mendicancy were stringent. And the penalty is heavy. Mendicancy is actually a word that comes up a lot in this book. Um, mendicancy, of course, being vagrancy and old like, like mendicant friars were the, the 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 clergy that weren't attached to a church or a synagogue, right? The, like the Franciscans or those groups. So they were called the mendicants. So it was kind of a old-fashioned term for vagrancy, um, and that's of course what Tom and his father and his whole family are. Later on, Edward will spend time in prison. So he gets to experience poverty, parental violence, the violence of the prison, all these things that he, of course, is perpetuating and continuing. And, and we can kind of, people like to excuse him maybe because he was just a little boy when he became king and he was a little boy when he died. But Twain knows, and we, we should know, he knew better. Like he's not, he doesn't have to actually be Tom for for a day. It's not, it's not a, a undercover boss, right? I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. Like, like undercover boss is bullshit too. It's like like uh, put on a fake mustache, work for a couple days with the employees, and then and then give them a heartwarming story and pay off their child's health bill or whatever they do, and still sustain the system. Right. It doesn't matter. Like, maybe that's like the disappointing thing about this book in the end is it essentially does 
become a bit like an episode of Undercover Boss. Um, but it is important that Edward experiences these institutions. So Twain's a little more brutal than Undercover Boss, I'll say that. Um, much of the life of the poor consists of evading and staying just on the right side of the law to avoid the full violence of the state from beating them down. Twain uses Edward Stitt in prison as a change to contemplate the morality of the criminalization of poverty, right, and dissent. And of course, to what does he do as king? Like historically, he doesn't do much, right? Over the course of the Tudor reign, the criminalization of poverty got worse, right? And of course, that's a defining feature of, of Europe after the Tudors, during and after the Tudors, is the criminalization of poverty and vagrancy. At the same time, that enclosure is tearing people from the land and forcing them into that very life that's being criminalized. Well, good thing the, the, the Stuarts start up the colonies because there will be a place to dump them um, by the end of the Stuart reign. Although poor Tom liked to, repli to replicate the lives of the aristocracy, he creates his own royal court um, kind of like Tom Sawyer's pirate band it is a form of place, an attempt to create a world of autonomy and empowerment. It's kind of hinted at early on. It really, the early part of the story really does read like Tom Sawyer in some ways. This play prepares him slightly for his future role as king. And I think that's why it's added here plot wise is so he's not like a Mary Sue when it comes to being a king. But I think ultimately it doesn't matter. I still think it's the clothes. I think what makes him a king is that he's got the king's clothes on and he's got the prince's clothes on i don't think anyone looks at him that closely i i want to believe that these people these two people are not like identical twins looking they're just two boys but you put on different clothes no one actually looked at them closely enough to know the difference i don't think we have a single scene where henry the eighth and odor is together and who's to say henry the eighth could really recognize this boy if you if you put on the fake mustache or switch the hats or whatever else Um, the problem is ultimately that he was ill-suited to be a king because he lacked the training in being brutal. Someone being beaten every day of his life, going to bed hungry and bloody through domestic violence every day, didn't have the training in being brutal that Edward had. Um, now, we don't get much of Tom Cantry's royal court. But we imagine it's benevolent to the people because when Tom Cantry, Canty is king, he tries to be a little bit benevolent to the people. And he brings us to the court. And it, it, it kind of is a joke. It's awkward for the real court to watch. But, um, but he doesn't really know about royal life except what his imagination is. And it, and it takes him a while. Um, there's a great scene in the first part of the book the first 100 pages. This is 200 pages long, so I'll, I'll, I'll do another episode on this. But there's a great scene where an abused child... Um, well, he's an abused child, so the whipping boy terrifies him. It not only baffles him, it's actually kind of horrifying for him. When the whipping boy's like, when, when you're bad, I get beaten. It's like, when you get an answer wrong in the test, I get beaten. And, and it should be all to, to a deranged aristocrat. I mean, they might think it's normal. So take, for instance, you kind of sometimes their trick here is not to sympathize with Edward at all, I think. Edward, 
he's got that nobility, that attraction. He gets the simps to follow him, right? He, even as Tom Cantry, he gets he gets his his followers. He gets his his nobility. So there is something in his scent that attracts that followers. But the trick is not to fall for that yourself. The trick is to is to realize now he's a piece of shit. He he's thoroughly a piece of shit. He had a fucking whipping boy. So don't apologize for him at all. That's the challenge of this book, I think. So um is that enough? Is that enough to say about the first half of this book? I think so. I think I set up this book and there's not much plot. It's just they swap and Tom sits around being king and Edward sits around being Tom. And and eventually he ventures off on his own, runs away and, and goes on an adventure and, and gets his, his entourage, his his feudal court emerges. They kind of it's all about inverting roles. So there's nothing too complicated here. But uh, maybe I'll fill it. There's a little more plot, I guess, in the second half. So I will go into that maybe a little bit more in the next episode. But uh, thematically, this book is super interesting. And I urge you to pick it up and, and read it and reflect on it. Um, so I'll have one more episode on The Prince and the Pauper. And then probably three on The Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. And then probably two or th- uh, three or four on Joan of Arc. Um, and we'll... Um, that's, so that's what's coming up. This has been fun. I really enjoyed this episode, uh, talking about this. So uh, let me know what you think of The Prince and the Pauper. Send, leave me your comments below. Um, listen to my other podcasts on Mark Twain or other writers. and Leave your feedback. Leave me a review. Uh, you can reach me out on Twitter at EvanLampy1. Or uh, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'll see you next time.